Hello and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. These are some highlights from a group of occupational therapists chatting about a podcast we've enjoyed. This time, we were inspired by the Occupied podcast episode, Online Technology for Occupational Therapy, hosted by Brock Cook and featuring Anita Hamilton. So what do people make of the podcast? It was longer than I thought it was going to be. I hadn't appreciated how long they were. I thought it was going to be like 45 minutes at tops. And then when I clicked on it and it was like an hour and a half, I was like, oh, should I left myself more time. They were obviously mates, I think, aren't they? And it felt like you were just kind of listening to two mates having a chat. Um, and they just kind of went, oh, a lot, everything they talked about was quite interesting, but they did just kind of jump around like mates would really. I think that was it. I like the beginning. I actually quite preferred the beginning bit in terms of just them chatting about OT and how they got into it and how they viewed it. I got a bit lost by the end. I hadn't quite realised that OT for OT stood for online technology for OT. I didn't know oh, I didn't that either. Well, in the last minute it was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I get that now. Um, and then I joined that group on Facebook thinking, oh, that sounds a useful group, but no one in that group understands that it's online technology either, do they? There's just all sorts of random stuff. <laughs> A bit as well about different types of learners the ones that um yeah ones that need to understand everything and the ones that kind of just do, do what's needed and then the ones that get really angry because or, or you know that sort of frustration that you haven't told me what i need to know and you that was quite interesting to hear that talked about from an ot perspective yeah, yeah. i really liked her saying you, you don't know what you don't know until you yeah. need to know it. yeah and that yeah. sort of question about because i when when I was a student, I, I did just graduate last year, so the whole university thing is is still quite interesting to me. Um, but I wasn't very academic. I did find it was more the placements that boosted me sort of through uni. So that was really interesting because I I definitely did feel like that in uni that I wasn't maybe cut out for it because it wasn't I wasn't super academic. But um, yeah, so that was really nice hearing that lots of people sort of have that experience. Yeah. Um, and that was a good quote as well. I liked yeah. that. I loved that whole exploration of belonging, how belonging develops at university. I thought that was yeah. um, particularly great. I made notes on that bit, thinking about oh, the stuff I could learn in that. I was quite interested because, of course, they have a four-year, a bit like they have in Scotland, don't they? Whereas we have a, a three-year undergraduate. We look at it from like a professional point of view of what online technology can give to us as OTs. But the other part of it, when I realised it was about OT for OT, how much do we still actually not use it or use it in treatment? It was that other side of it, is that we're kind of getting our heads around it for ourselves. But actually how many OTs, how often do we actually go out and practice and make sure somebody has broadband access to a computer, access to the internet, mm. access to the apps? And, it's, and I think as a profession, we're still, we're not where we should be. COVID has forced us to be though yeah. because I'm currently on placement in um, community mental health and we're using um, Teams, yeah. we're recommending apps, we're using apps um, but perhaps that wouldn't have happened if COVID hadn't happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've, often, I've often asked the students that on placement how many of you have asked about people's apps, this is pre-COVID, have asked about clients access to technology 
and the only students that sort of put their hands up tend to be from CAMS. They've done like a paediatrics or a CAMS type style placement, and that's been the sort of part of it. So it'd be really interesting to see where we go as a profession now. COVID's happened, and it is an assumption, isn't it, that people will have internet access, Absolutely. that people will have the technology? Because yeah. it's the same, isn't it? Yeah, we're running a group. You can join the group. The group will be really good for you, but you need the internet. You need a computer. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think I find it quite difficult. We've been using um, NHS near me and attend anywhere recently to do appointments, but sort of out of my my caseload of um, 34, I think at the moment, then only one patient actually has access to a, a smart device, a laptop or an iPad and mm -hmm. sufficient internet and the sort of ability to be able to use it. I think working in older adults mm -hmm. is definitely more challenging and it's, it's definitely more limiting and um, the technology that you can use and it has been difficult and it's, especially my area is, is quite rural um, wow. and there has been quite a lot of barriers I think to using it. I think there are two like slightly distinct aspects of um, uh, technology within our job so I think Covid is, is quite good for pushing us to use it to do our job um, as in like teams and virtual groups and um, using technology to replace the things that we're not allowed to do but then there's the other side of it that I don't actually think is that affected by all of this which is people using it in their lives so I work with young people and I'm I don't think of myself as that old I'm having to re-examine that but it's it's very stark to me sometimes how much they live their online life differently to me so you know facebook is a bit of my life or you know my phone is is my husband wouldn't agree with me on this but my phone is not my world whereas you know that is where for some of them all of their social contact comes mm -hmm. and actually it's that understanding isn't it of, of if we're not open to exploring how they're using it and what they're doing with it and where in their mm. life it sits, we're never going to be able to help them when it's going awry. Mm. Mm. I think we've all had a taste of that during COVID because mm. my kids were like, mum, get off your phone. All you do is sit on your phone all day. But I was like, my whole world's in here at the moment. Because <laughs> obviously you couldn't see anybody. So I guess you've kind of had a bit of insight into how important it is to be able to use that technology in a way mm -hmm. to keep in touch with people. So. Yeah, I think COVID's been good in, I think before this, most people would have sort of quite a negative view of social media and technology and, and try and sort of limit the amount of time we're using that. But I think it's important to recognise the value of that and sort of see it as more of an occupation than as a as a negative thing all the time. Because um, that is how, how people are, are engaging with other people. I can't one of the things that interested me, sorry, one of the things that interested me was they were talking about um, how Twitter isn't particularly used in Australia, and I know it isn't in, yeah. in lots of European countries. It isn't, and and that got me thinking about you know what platform do do OTs globally? You know, if we were looking for something yeah. to connect people globally, there's, there's so many different platforms doing different things. I think that's going to be a limiter going forward, isn't it? That you just if you're not all speaking that same language that that platform allows you to, how do you, um, yeah. you know, how do you connect? How do we connect globally? 
so for example one of the students that i know has been asking questions went on twitter to ask some questions for a bit of research they were doing and didn't get very much back but then they asked that same question on instagram and i was quite surprised it was ot's yeah. that were answering other ot students because i don't use instagram in that way and i just think there's so many social media platforms how will we connect globally oh snapchat have you ever my um i've got teenage nieces and they're all about snapchat <laughs> Facebook's like only for old people apparently. Yeah. yeah. I got it. I, I, I find it difficult being twenty-two and being classed as an old person mm. because I don't use Snapchat <laughs> to communicate with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it's quite an identity crisis for me. Yeah. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite scared of Twitter because um I was um I was in fashion before um training to be an OT. So I'm a really visual person, so I love Instagram, but I find Twitter terrifying. I can't even put anything on there because I'm just like, oh. So I just kind of stalk people and never put anything on there at the moment. <laughs> but I think that is about the fascination of which platform works best for your professional social media. Um, for me, as a student, Twitter's been fab. I think I've learned so much just from following. Again, I just lurk. I very, very rarely post anything, but just from following people and lurking around on there. That's how it all begins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be posting Definitely. 10 times a day next. <laughs> but, you know, my experience is, though, we, we engage with lots of students while they're studying with us on Twitter, and then their Twitter use when they're working professionally really tails off. And, and if you talk to people that are working as, as clinicians in OT, some of them are really reluctant and I, but never kind of never got anybody to articulate other, other than the obvious reasons of why they would be cynical about using anything when they're working. I've never really got them to articulate why that use changes, you know, why people step away from it more. Yeah. The, the reality of <laughs> I found that quite interesting, really. I mean, it might just be time, might it? But we all use it. So I don't, I've, I've never understood it, really. Is it because we're not there telling them to join Twitter and use it? <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we just need to pop up every now and again and go, where are you? Why aren't you using this? Why aren't you <laughs> tweeting? I think there's kind of a cultural difference between being a student and being employed, though. And when you're a student, it's your whole world, isn't it? And then when, you when you're employed, there are these sort of boundaries <clears throat> that start sneaking in, and some of them are really quite helpful. Um, and I think... Like when I first encountered Otalk, I was a bit like, why the bleep would I be doing that at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night? Like, why? That's work. I'm at home at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night. And that, that's a very different mindset to being a student where you're like, come on, it's everything. It's my whole world. And then, or yeah, or you just end up studying at whatever time of night to fit it in round your job and your kids and whatever else yeah i think it's interesting because i i just set up my my work twitter so i i am um, also follow the um mental elf so i think it's that started with the national elf service um and they do a lot of um stuff about taking m normal conferences outside the room and it, it feels a lot to me like that's where technology should be. It should be about making things like, like the, if the 24 VX thing um, is, takes masses of energy and effort, actually, is there something in the middle there that could be like, well, you've got 
people who are going to go to conferences but then there's there's all the people like me who are sitting in cash strapped jobs desperate to engage in that kind of stuff and absolutely not able to and the data doesn't the data say that actually it's such a small minority of qualified people registered people but well just american and uk data i've seen and um, that actually ever go to a conference ever go it's it's single figures it's absolutely minute number so you think actually then you've got to really think about i'm not saying the conferences aren't worthy because you know they are but the, the accessibility is is a massive issue for them isn't it if you're not actually reaching the majority of people qualified in your profession but even the the cut conference, I mean, obviously, I only went last year as a student, but the price for a non-student is huge, isn't it? Yeah. I and mean, it's really cheap for students, it's great, but I don't know how anyone else affords it or gets their workplace to pay for it. They don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a real shame. It's... Um, it kind of just sends itself around that loop doesn't it really about how do we then social media gives you that fantastic opportunity to disseminate things if we all weren't so precious about making yeah. money out of everything but i think and i think brock you you, in, you know you introduce an interesting thing actually which is you know it'd be great if everything was free but actually it does take time so there has to be some payback doesn't there sometimes it can't all be in everybody's free time there's a, yeah. there's a real balance isn't there to be met I think the biggest issue with conferences, because I've been involved in that world a fair bit as well. Um, I used to run all of OT Australia social media stuff. Um, the biggest issue with conferences that's coming out more and more is some of them are actually getting worried about people engaging in their content online just due to IP. Um, and, you know, putting people's content out, which is, you know, sometimes not quite published and that kind of thing for free. So there were people that were worried about their ideas and stuff being put out um, without, you know, once it's out there, it's kind of without their control, without their knowledge, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, that was an issue that probably even when we recorded that podcast um, wasn't really an issue that kind of came up at our last national conference last year. Um, yeah, so that was a new one that I hadn't really considered before. But yeah, so we'll see. That seems to be. I saw I saw some of that kind of stuff, and that was really interesting because that's another cultural difference. Because obviously, within the NHS, we kind of expect to share stuff, and we expect things to be free, and we expect things to be there for the good of everyone. And and it was a bit of an eye opener to me. Like I was sort of vaguely aware that that wouldn't be true in the state. But even in terms of academia, that that did really surprise me that there were people who were like, oh, actually, please don't take a or if you take a photograph, just don't put it anywhere because like ideas get pinched or um, publications get nabbed. And I mean, really, what's the point of the academic side if it's not getting through to the clinical side? Doesn't surely, you know, that is that not the whole point? <laughs> you would think that. <laughs> It's good as well because the online space is new for like service users as well or it might not be new for service users but it's new in terms of engaging with services through an online mm. space isn't it um so sometimes people aren't don't feel very confident in speaking or contributing or whatever um so with with mentee they can still offer their contribution and see it there on the screen in front of them but 
they might not have to have spoken to do it, which I think mm -hmm. is good as well. Mm. Which I think comes back to that notion of how we grade and adapt activities to make yeah. them accessible, doesn't it? That in an online world that perhaps how we grade and adapt might be slightly different, but it's the same principle of making it an, an easy to participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you do it, especially if you've got service users who've got anxiety and things like that, I mean, it, it takes a lot of confidence. What They often have somebody with them the first time they come to a group, and that's to sit in a room next to somebody that they know, therefore confidence, and then all of a sudden you're asking them to come onto an online platform, which they may never have used before, and yeah. speak to people they've never seen before, and you can't really get a good gauge on you know people's body language as much and things like that. It, you, they've got to be quite confident in order to join in that in the first place it's quite a lot to ask really and it's quite invasive isn't it suddenly you know whereas they might have previously gone to a place to attend this group suddenly this group's in their space in their house yeah. and i think the flip side of that is that actually it's quite accessible because it's there in their house that previously where perhaps you had to overcome a number of geographical or perhaps psychological hurdles of getting to a different place that actually it might be easier because you're just in your house and it's come to you yeah it's the old two the the things around about sides of te technology <laughs> is everywhere and and constant and that can be a good thing or a bad thing can't it i think for I think me I've i i didn't really come across that issue because i already go well pre-COVID, I was going into my clients' houses regardless. So I do early intervention, birth to three years of age. So as soon as we switched to virtual, it was just like, yeah, like I've already been in that living room. Like I know the house, I know the family. But I think for, <clears throat> I think for some kiddos, it's actually doing really, really well for them because it's almost making the parents and the caregivers the therapists themselves. And we are teaching them everything. So yes, maybe in the beginning, they're lacking a little bit of that hands-on, but by the end, like fingers crossed, what I'm hoping for is that they actually become the therapist and they start to identify things throughout the child's day that if they weren't the ones doing it, they wouldn't have noticed that. So yeah, it, it, it's tricky, but I think for some kids, it really has been working well. I think it's really interesting. It gives you that opportunity. I can remember from like working yeah, I think it's been really, it's really good that um, kind of in here, we've got a mix of, well, we've got people from all over the world, but people at different stages of their practice as well. And yet we've all been able to kind of pull out bits of it that are relevant to us and our situation at the moment, haven't we? Particularly with the technology at the moment, but everything yeah. as well. I think for me, the other thing is that it's, I wanted to have a group where you could discuss it because it would make me think about it more and it really has done that because I've listened to it thinking about it so the stuff I'd already processed over that aspect over how do you grow belonging in a cohort that we haven't necessarily touched on today but I've already gained from having really thought about listening but then equally as we've gone round a conversation that's gone all sorts of different places actually that's been good as well because that stretched my thinking and given me stuff I'll continue to go oh that's interesting 
I was just gonna say I've, I've definitely <laughs> found it like really beneficial and coming from sort of thinking about starting our own sort of podcast to promote our service I've listened to a lot of OT podcasts in sort of research for it and have found that that the the sort of ones that we've listened to for this where it's more of a community conversation rather than structured debate almost is much more beneficial so I've, I feel like I've gained a lot from the sort of original podcast and from this this conversation um, that we've been able to have here. I kind of have two things that I was just going to mention um, but I think from like the podcast a podcaster standpoint I think having something like this like I was so sad when I found out that I literally missed the last one I found out like minutes after it happened or something and I was like ah I love creating the content but it can also feel and I'm sure Miranda and Brock feel the same way like it can be very kind of one-sided where it's just us and our guest or a couple of guests and we have this conversation and we're energized and we're so passionate about it and then we kind of like push it out there and then we're like all right like let's just see what happens and it's so cool to actually be able to like sit down and have conversations about the episodes and things that stand out to us and and learn from practitioners across the world like as i'm sitting here talking to you guys i'm like wow there's there's so much outside of my realm that i didn't even know just in this like short conversation so it it's really cool for me because i've always been a podcast junkie and i listen to so many podcasts and ot podcasts and all that good stuff mm -hmm. to now actually have people that are as passionate about ot podcasts as i am like it's it's really, really exciting and really cool. And there's such an accessible way of learning for me that I can do it whilst I'm doing something else. I'll often be multitasking in it, but they completely stretch my thinking. I've listened to ones that have just been on topics that actually I really know very little about but it's so accessible because I'm not having to tell anyone how little I know about it already. I just can hear the information coming in and have that um, grow my thoughts. I really like that. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our chat. Next time, we'll be discussing the OT Roundtable podcast episode, Who is the Imposter? I hope you can join us then. 